Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, the remnant of true Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christians. Thank you so much for your support and for calling in. For, I just saw, as I'm opening up this podcast today, our producer just comes and sets a box of pumpkin spice Cheerios right next to me that he got at the grocery store. He knows I'm a pumpkin spice fanatic, so, oh my goodness, that, that's funny. Thanks, Travis. Um, I'm so excited about this program today. Uh, we are going to get back to the foundations of our faith today, talk about the biblical worldview with our special guest, Ken Ham. He's one of the top biblical apologetic speakers in North America. He's the CEO, and most of you know him as the founder of Answers in Genesis, AIG, author of more than 25 books, founder of the highly acclaimed Creation Museum and the world-renowned Ark Encounter. Ken founded AIG in 1994 with the purpose of upholding the authority of the Bible from the very first verse. In addition, he provides biblical and scientific answers to some of the most difficult questions people ask about the Christian faith. One of his eye-opening books is called Already Gone, co-authored by uh, researcher Britt Beamer on why so many young people have left the church. But what we're going to talk about today is something we've been dealing with for years, particularly in the last three, four years, and that is the divide in America that has crept into the church. His new book is called Divided Nation. Cultures in Chaos, and a Conflicted Church. Ken Ham, welcome to Stand Up for the Truth. Hi, it's great to be with you, David, and talk about these issues. Yes, so very important. And I just want to thank you for your ministry and just your voice of truth. Um, my personal experience with you, I've been following you for many years, but the, the, the series that really drew me in and got me to speak more about this issue was your Foundations series, uh, The Relevance of Genesis. I think I saw it on NRB uh, originally. Maybe it, been, it was on YouTube. But I so appreciated that because after the, the church seeing the youth leaving so early in their lives now, um, they don't wait until at, they get out of college. Now they're starting to doubt by middle school and um I, when I started hearing some of your presentations, I said, yes, this is the new message. Not that we haven't been talking about it, but it has to get out to the church. So please share with us a little bit about that process and how it brought to you uh, writing this new book, Divided Nation. Well, you know, I've been speaking on this topic, actually, ever since 1975. 1975 is when I gave my first talk on creation apologetics. And at that time, when I was speaking on that, I was dealing more with, you know, some of the some of the evidence that contradicts evolution and so on. Uh, but as I started to speak in churches, one of the things I noticed is when I talked on how important Genesis 1 to 11 was as the foundation for all of our doctrine and for the rest of the Bible, I, I found a lot of people say, well, we've never heard this before. Well, we thought you had to believe in evolution. We didn't think Genesis was that important. And the other thing is, as I was traveling around, one of the things I kept hearing was that the younger generation had these questions that people couldn't answer. Mm -hmm. And then we saw research done by a number of different researchers showing that young people were walking away from the church. And I experienced that myself as I was, you know, talking in churches all across the world. In fact, you know, I get a bit of a bird's eye view of the church when you think about it, you know, different to most people in that I've spoken in all 50 states in America. I've spoken in hundreds of churches, different denominations, but I've done that all around the world over mm -hmm. the past 45 plus years. And so you get a bit of a perspective on things. And one of the things that I recognized was because of what uh, these young people were being taught at school, in fact, uh, 85, 90% of kids from church homes go to the secular schools where evolution is taught as fact, millions of years taught as fact. Uh, and nowadays it's become extremely uh, antagonistic to Christianity with, you know, the Bible prayer creation thrown out and they teach everything without any veneer of Christianity at all. And so it's all from a perspective of naturalism or atheism. 
them. And then they've been coming to our churches and they've been asking questions about, you know, dinosaurs and millions of years and what about death and suffering and a loving God. And unfortunately, most of our church leaders either couldn't or didn't uh, give them answers. And most parents would even say things like, well, I'm not a scientist. Well, I don't know. They're confused on these issues. And so these younger generations start to doubt that you can trust the Bible and then they walk away from the church. And one of the things that I've kept emphasizing to people is this. Look, we need to understand something. Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for all doctrine. But number one, when you start to reinterpret it and try to fit evolution in and millions of years in, you're undermining the authority of the Word of God. So one of the things I've always said was the battle that's going on is a battle about authority. Is is man the authority or is God? And that's a battle that's always gone on since Genesis 3 uh, when the devil came to Eve. Did God really say? It's that battle between God's Word and man's Word. And so one of the emphases I've brought uh, is that this whole issue in regard to what's happening in our church, compromise in Genesis, evolution, creation, science, and so on, it comes down to authority. Who's the authority? Is God the authority or man? And then not only uh, do have younger generations seen lots of the church and leaders telling them you can reinterpret Genesis, which undermines biblical authority, but then they have no foundation for a Christian worldview because ultimately every single biblical doctrine of theology is founded in Genesis 1 to 11. And mm-hmm. so if you want to deal with the marriage issue, the abortion issue, the racism issue, the death and suffering issue, the gender issue, in fact, you want to deal with anything, for the Christian, we have to understand Genesis 1 to 11 is the foundation for the rest of the Bible, for all of our doctrine, for our whole worldview. And when that foundation hasn't been given, mm. we, we find people are all over the place, don't know what to say, don't know how to react, don't know what to believe, not sure how to deal with what's happening in the culture. And therein lies a major problem. And so... The, the Ministry of Answers in Genesis, which really goes back to you know those early days in Australia when I was a school teacher and sort of started as an actual organized ministry in our home in 1977, and then over here in America it was you know Answers in Genesis was founded here in uh, Kentucky uh, to to build the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, but a whole emphasis has been apologetics, general Bible and creation apologetics to equip. Christians to defend the Christian faith and challenge non-Christians concerning the truth of God's Word and the Gospel. And so even the two attractions we built, the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum, Mm. are a different way of impacting uh, people. In other words, people come here, Christian and non-Christian, a mix of people actually that you'd never see in churches because we get a lot of non-Christians from all sorts of different backgrounds coming in here to these attractions. And the exhibits then do the teaching and yes. challenge them, give them answers. And so that's that's really what the ministry is all about. I love that, and particularly the Ark Encounter, because years ago, as you say, you've been speaking about this for decades, you often use the analogy or the story that, that just that, young people teaching Sunday school, I often use the story. Let's tell you a story about Noah's Ark. And they have the animals sticking out of the Ark as if they can all fit in the Ark. And, and so kids think, okay, this is a fable. This is a story like the other stories I hear in the fictional books at home. And I really appreciate this, this, the Ark encounter that people can really walk through this and see, wow, I know it took them time to build this thing, but this is really according to scripture. And you built it to scale, correct? Yes, we built it according to the dimensions in the Bible. Now, the dimensions are in cubits, and we know a cubit is a link from you know, your fingertip to your elbow, and there's different cubits in history. We used an ancient cubit of 20.4 inches, and so you know, I'm here while we're doing this interview actually looking out the window of my office at the Ark Encounter, looking at this massive structure, mm. biggest timber frame structure in the world, and it's one and a half times the length of a football field, half the width of a football field, built 15 feet off the ground, stands seven stories high, 10 stories at the bow, 3.3 million board feet of timber, and all three decks inside are filled with exhibits, over 120 exhibits, answering all these sorts of questions. But what it does 
it helps make the Bible come alive to people. Yes. And as you said, you know, a lot, a lot of books in churches, a lot of uh, paintings on walls of kindergartens and so on have Noah's Ark looking like this overloaded bathtub with giraffes sticking out the chimney about to sink at any moment. And one of the big questions that's been asked for years, the atheists use it all the time, is, well, how could Noah fit the animals on the Ark? And they say, there's too many animals, he couldn't fit them on the Ark. Well, First of all, you have to know how big the ark was, and secondly, to understand what it means that God sent kinds on the ark, and only land animal kinds. So it wasn't all the species of dogs we have today, it was two of the dog kind, and mm-hmm. two of the cat kind, and so on. So we teach all that and help people uh, have the answers to these questions to stop those doubts that can lead to unbelief. Mm. So when you mentioned earlier what's missing from today's well, let's just be honest. From most of our churches is the uh, the addressing of Genesis 1 through 11 as literal history and then building the foundation on that, meaning, you know, God created the earth in in 6 days, right? The heavens and the earth. And a lot of pastors don't address it. Um what how would you encourage our listeners? Many of them go to different churches, different denominations who maybe their pastors have not taught on this in a while. Um, and it's so important, as you say, it is foundational. So how would you encourage our listeners to approach their pastors and ask them to address this? Well, you know, that's a, that's an interesting question because, first of all, I would say, you know, there are those pastors that really do love God's Word and believe God's Word, but they feel intimidated by the scientists, mm. and they're not sure how to answer these questions, and they just feel uncomfortable dealing with you know, Genesis 1 to 11 in that way. But then there's a lot of others that have been uh, brainwashed or indoctrinated to believe that you have to accept evolutionary ideas and millions of years and have, have tried to reinterpret Genesis and say you don't need to take it uh, as written. And so... There's a whole number of areas that we could cover in regard to all of that. Mm-hmm. But first of all, I challenge people. You know, I like to give people maybe a specific example. This sometimes helps with people who haven't thought this through when they say, well, Genesis is not that important. Well, okay, let's think about marriage. In Matthew 19, when Jesus was asked about marriage, what was his answer? And this is recorded in Mark 10 as well. He said, haven't you read? He who made them at the beginning made them male and female. Well, that's the, that's the text of Genesis 1.27. And that's talking about two genders, by the way, <laughs> that God made man in his own image and made them male and female. So there's only two genders. And then, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they'll be one flesh. That's Genesis 2.24. That's the creation of marriage. So let's think about this for a moment. Jesus, who's the truth, who's the word, is quoting the words of the writings of Moses in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 to give the foundation for marriage, saying God made a male and female, and that the account that's given there in Genesis 2 of God making man from dust and a woman from his side, thus you become one because you're one flesh because woman came from man, as the foundation for marriage means Jesus is attesting to the historicity of Genesis yes. and that account and giving it as the foundation for marriage. There's one example. And as we know, all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth, and he is our final authority. He is the Word. The Word is our final authority, but I think we've lost that dependence on the authority of Scripture, and as you write about often. Um, in the subtitle, Divided Nation, and by the way, if you just joined us, we're speaking with Ken Ham, uh, CEO of Answers in Genesis. Um, in the subtitle, it says, Cultures in Chaos, and a conflicted church. I want to focus on the church for a moment. Uh, Ken, describe the conflict and how it's impacting the church's God-given role. Well, you know, if you look at the church today, here's here's a problem. If you look at local churches... Statistics bear out we're losing the younger generations from the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you go back in history, uh, way back in history here in, in the U.S., uh, probably 70% of people, they say, attended church. Now, there's been research done by the Pew Research Center, GSS Data Explorer, others. But what we've seen is this. 
as you go down through the generations, if you divide groups into generations according to when they were born, the greatest generation born before 1928, about 56% of them went to church. Then you come down to the silent generation, then the boomers. I'm in the baby boomers generation. Now it's down to 32%. Then you come down to the millennials. It's down to 18%. But if you look at Generation Z today, Generation Z and the millennials together, we're, we're getting down now towards about 11%. In other words, we're seeing a generational loss from the church. Mm. And so the church has to stand back and say, why are we losing the younger generations from the church? If this keeps going, we're going to end up like Europe today, where you know hardly any of the younger generations are going to church at all. And uh, we, we, we see uh, church attendance greatly down. And at the same time as we're losing the younger generations from the church, we're also seeing those younger generations become more secularized and impacting the culture. The culture becomes more secularized, and as the secular world view becomes more dominant in the culture, it becomes more anti-Christian, mm. more intolerant of Christianity, more intolerant of the church. And the reason for that is because when you have a worldview that says anything goes because man determines truth and morality is relative, then you've got a big conflict with a worldview that says God says here's what's right and here's what's wrong. And so you've got that conflict. And we're seeing an increasingly antagonistic culture towards Christianity because the church has allowed the younger generations to be captured by the world. And I really would say it's a failure of the church um, in regard to what is happening in our culture. I mean, we look in our culture and say, look how bad the culture is. I think we should be saying, wait a minute, what's wrong with the church? Why did the church uh, let this happen? And it really comes down to the church allowed generations of kids to be captured through the secular education system, captured with a secular worldview, the foundation that man determines truth. We didn't combat that or counteract it in our churches. We just taught what the Bible says, you know, Bible stories, Jesus on the cross and Noah and the ark and Adam and Eve and, and the crossing of the Red Sea and so on. But we didn't give them a true Christian worldview, didn't teach them with apologetics, didn't equip them to defend the Christian faith. We told them that they didn't have to believe Genesis by and large, not all the church, but the majority, and they have now drifted away from the church. And when you teach them that, that the Bible is not the absolute authority, that man can change God's word, like in Genesis, and you can start with ideas outside the Bible to reinterpret God's word, why not start with man's word about marriage and reinterpret marriage? And that's what they're doing. And so uh, the, the church hasn't stood on biblical authority from the very first verse, hasn't taught them a true Christian worldview, hasn't taught them apologetics in the majority of instances, hasn't done this. And now we're losing the younger generations. And now we're losing the culture from a Christian worldview perspective as well. Yes, we are, Ken Ham. And as you say, a lot of the polls and the surveys bear that out. Barna Research and others, I think we're down to a 6% biblical worldview in America, and more or less, depending on the poll and the survey and who they talk to. But you said something interesting. We've only got three minutes left in this segment, but you said if this keeps going— we're going to end up like Europe. One of the things I remember from one of your Foundations series videos on the relevance of Genesis is watching you describe and show pictures of empty, abandoned church buildings in Europe or the UK, and one now is a strip club, another is a tattoo parlor. Some of the buildings are just empty. And we're thinking, I mean, for decades and decades, Ken, we thought that could never happen in America, but... Tell us why we can no longer say that couldn't happen here if we don't reverse course. Well, actually, it is happening here in America. You know, I, I noticed this uh, when I was over in uh, the United Kingdom and touring around. I increasingly saw old church buildings turned into nightclubs and shopping centers and massage parlors and uh, all sorts of different places. And as I was talking to people over there and talking to Christian leaders, it wasn't because, you know, churches were growing and building new buildings. It was called in many instances, those local churches would, were dying and um, they basically closed down. And we've seen an incredible number of churches 
close their doors over there in the United Kingdom and in Europe, church attendance in England is down to 4% of the population. That's general church oh attendance. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, America's going to head the same way. Now, one of the things I'm seeing, I've had people send to me over the past few years an increasing number of church buildings that are closing down. Mm. Churches are finding they're losing the younger generations. The older generation die out, as you know, and uh, they can't sustain it anymore. We're seeing the same thing happen uh, here in America and we'll end up where England is at if we keep going the way uh, that we are. And one of the things I've seen is a lot of churches think the way to solve this is resort to entertainment. And so, you know, I'm not against music, but a lot of a lot of praise teams have become more performance oriented out the front with flashing lights and they water down the teaching of the word yes. thinking that's what's going to keep them but you know what it hasn't worked because we continue to see that loss of the younger generations yes uh thank you we're with ken ham we've got to take a break but the book is called divided nation cultures in chaos and a conflicted church it is phenomenal it's got graphs and charts and and things that support the points he makes through the book. We're going to talk about a few of those points when we come back. Again, Ken is founder of Answers in Genesis, Creation Museum, Ark Encounter, and we've got so much more coming right up on Stand Up for the Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. We're with Ken Ham, CEO of Answers in Genesis, and I love this new book. I highly encourage you to get it. You can get it at AnswersInGenesis.org. It's available on Amazon. It's called Divided Nation, Cultures in Chaos, and a Conflicted Church. I love the men from Living Waters Ministries, Ray Comfort, Emil Zwayne. They uh, endorsed it, uh, Kirk Cameron also, and, and others, including one of our podcast guests, Heidi St. John, the busy mom. So we're thankful to have this book in hand. But Ken, I wanted to ask you about the front cover. Um, it's It's a little subtle. You've got a white church right in the middle, divided nation, blue on the left, red on the white, and there's a white church with a face on it, and there's an X over the mouth of the person, of, of the person's face. Could you explain what that means? Yeah, it is, it is subtle, and we want people to think about that, but, you know, the, the church is, you know, the, the body of, of Christ worldwide, and in many ways, uh, many of those in the church and they're not, they're not equipped to know how to deal with what's happening in the world, uh, what's happening in their own families, because uh, the local church, um, many ways our leaders haven't taught us, haven't equipped them. You know, and I, I could list a number of things here. For instance, uh, a, a lot of Christians aren't game to go out and, you know, talk to people about uh, Christianity or the gospel because they feel intimidated because when they're asked questions and the questions today, well, wait a minute, the Bible's a book of mythology, science is history of the Bible, and so they don't know what to say because we haven't equipped them with apologetics to know how to defend the Christian faith. And so so they, they stay quiet because they don't want to go out and witness because they don't know how to answer the questions. The church hasn't equipped them to be able to do that. But in many ways, and, and in this book, I, I also talk about areas where there's been failures of the church to equip us. For instance, take the issue of neutrality. Here's an area where uh, the church has, in a way, been silent. Uh, so we got that X over the mouth because people haven't understood uh, a particular concept very clearly at all. It hasn't been taught by churches, and that is, for instance, let me give you a practical example: neutrality. So have our have our leaders taught us that? There's no neutral position. Now, what do I mean by that? If, if you read scripture, it says you're either for Christ or against, you walk in light or darkness, you gather or scatter, you're on the broad way or the narrow way, you build your house on the rock or you build your house on the sand. There's no neutral position, right? And not only is there no neutral position, people are not neutral. The Bible says all have sinned and the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, you know, Jeremiah 17:9, And so... People are not neutral. In fact, Romans 1 tells us those who are against God suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And later on in Romans, it says those who are against God actually are at enmity with God. In other words, they're at war with God. So there's no neutral position. Now, because people haven't been equipped with this, that's why uh, you can have atheist groups come in 
and bully people and bully Christians and get away with it. And for instance, if you take uh, in, in the Freedom from Religion Foundation, which is a group of atheist bullies from Wisconsin, that's who they are. They, they are atheists who have a religion called atheism. See, there's another problem. We haven't been equipped to understand there's no non-religious position. Everyone has a worldview. Your worldview either starts from God's word or man's word. Atheists will claim they're not religious. Well, yes, they are, because they have a belief. They, they have a worldview that determines how they view the world. Their worldview is there's no God. Everything came about by natural processes. And so they come in and they say, Oh, you, you can't have the Bible in public schools, you can't have prayer, you can't have creation because uh, you're imposing your Christian religion and you need to be neutral and we need to get those out. They come into a public place and they say you can't have crosses or nativity scenes uh, because that's imposing Christianity. It needs to be neutral. And so people have this idea, oh, I guess you're right, secular is neutral. So we let them remove all those things and now they've imposed their anti-God religion of atheism on the education system and on the culture because we haven't been equipped. And Christians have been silent on these issues simply because they have this idea that, oh, um, yeah, if we're talking about Christianity, we're religious and we're not neutral and we're biased, whereas atheists are neutral. I mean, the churches have not equipped us to know how to think correctly about these issues and how to defend the Christian faith, and that's what happens. Then these atheists roll over us, and then they capture the hearts and minds of generations of our kids and lead them astray. And the church has got to stop being silent on these issues. You know, the same is true when it comes to issues like gay marriage. Uh, you know, we, we have this idea today, oh, well, you know, uh, maybe if, if two men love each other, you know, that they should be able to get married. And who am I to judge them? You know, the Bible says not to judge. Well, the Bible doesn't say not to judge. It says when you judge, you judge righteously. In other words, you judge using the absolute authority of the Word of God, and you judge yourself the same way you judge others against God's Word. So there's been a lot of, of, of wrong teaching there or not being equipped properly uh, to understand. And then when we understand that our worldview comes from the foundation of God's word in Genesis, we, we understand then that when we're talking to somebody who doesn't have the same worldview as us, they can view what we're saying as hate speech yes. because we're talking about the absolutes of God's word. And as I say to people, our, our churches need to be teaching people to understand that the battle is not at a worldview level. That conflict at a worldview level, level is because we have two different foundations, man's word or God's word. And so when I say to somebody, hey, my worldview comes from God's word. That's why I believe the way that I do. And they say, but I don't believe God's word. And I say, that's fine, but I do. Tell me why you don't believe God's word. And then I get them into a conversation to, to get it down to that foundational level. Because if you just argue at the worldview level, you're never going to get anywhere. And, and many Christians, because we haven't been equipped to think correctly about these issues, haven't been equipped to argue in the right way, then we don't know how to deal with the worldview conflict that's around us today. If only we had been taught foundationally from God's word to know where our worldview comes from, what it means to have a biblical worldview equipped with answers, then we would recognize you can't just go out into a culture and impose your Christian worldview on someone who doesn't have the foundation for it. You have to first of all explain about where worldviews come from, why we have the worldview we do, where their worldview comes from, and challenge them concerning the foundation of their worldview and point them to the Word of God as the right foundation. And that's true of any issue. It doesn't matter whether it's abortion, euthanasia, gay marriage, racism, uh, gender issues. It's true of any issue, but unfortunately, our churches haven't equipped us in the right way, and so that's why the X through the mouth there. People don't know how to argue. They don't know how to correctly communicate to people. They don't know what to say, and so the church is silent, and we allow the secularists to take over, which is what's happening. Amen. Ken, that was a phenomenal response, and I can imagine most of our listeners shouting amen at the radio or their iPhone or ho however they are hearing this podcast, because what you just said, there were so many nuggets of truth in what you just said. By the way, the title of today's podcast, Divided Nation Conflicted Church, God's Word versus Man's Word, and I think you're reading my notes 
Ken, because that was one of the main things I wanted to talk to you about today, chapter two, to set that foundation for understanding that there is no neutral position. C.S. Lewis said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. That's C.S. Lewis. But I want to quote you from this chapter in Divided Nation. And again, I love this. Um, You say, let's look at what God's Word clearly teaches. And then there are bullet points. One is either for Christ or against Christ. One either walks in light or darkness. One is either on the broad way or narrow way. One either builds their house on the rock or on the sand. One not for God is hostile to God. And one who is not righteous is unrighteous and suppresses the truth. These are foundational things for us to understand that there's no gray, there's no neutrality, although there may be a lukewarm segment of the church in America, just like Revelation chapter 3, there, there is no neutral ground here. We've got to either understand Jesus is the final authority and his word, or whatever man says. And we're running into a lot of problems because we have been duped, deceived by what man has been saying all these years. Ken, your, your response to that? Well, you know, let's go to what the Apostle Paul says in Second Corinthians 11, verse 3. And this is God through the Apostle Paul. I always say that because I want people to think this is not just a man's word, right? Mm -hmm. All Scripture is inspired by God. So I often like to say God through the Apostle Paul because this is the inspired word of God. In 2 Corinthians 11, 3, and I'll paraphrase it for people, I want to warn you that the devil is going to use the same method on you as he did on Eve to get you to position of not believing the things of God, which means the same method on our kids, on our grandkids, on everyone. So if the devil's going to use the same method on us as he did on Eve, you know what we should be saying? Wait a minute. I need to make sure I understand that method because God is warning me here that he's going to use that method. What is that method? Let me go back and find out what that method is. What method did he use on Eve? And you go back to Genesis 3, verse 1, and the devil came to Eve and said, did God really say? And stop right there for a moment and think about it. That's an attack on the word of God. And that's really uh, an attack to get Adam and Eve to doubt the word of God and to trust their own word. And so when you go to Genesis 3, 5, the temptation is you shall be as God. You be your own God. You decide truth for yourself. You decide what's right and what's wrong. And, you know, if you look at that uh, in the context of what did God say to Adam? Adam, you can eat of all the trees. You're not to eat of, of one tree. Uh, as a test of obedience. In other words, Adam, you obey God's word. And what did the devil come and say? Uh, you, uh, you obey your own word. You decide truth for yourself. And right there in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, mm. God sets up for us, this is the battle. The battle began as an attack on God's word and to, for people, for humans to be their own God uh, and to believe their own word and decide truth for themselves. So a battle between God's word and man's word. And here's, here's what I, people need to understand. You know, we look at, you could look at America today and say, what on earth has happened? I mean, I mean you know, what's going on here? Look, it's the same battle. This battle has been raging for 6,000 years. It's raged ever since the garden, a battle between God's word and man's word. And the Genesis 3 attack that the Apostle Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 11.3 is the, the attack on the authority of the word of God. And down through the ages, that attack has manifested itself in different ways at different times. We need to be asking ourselves, how has that attack manifested itself today? Mm. And, you know, I really believe that This era began in the 1800s. It began in the 1800s when atheists who rejected God's word, rejected the flood of Noah's day, said all the fossil layers were laid down over millions of years before man. And then we had church leaders who said, well, we'll take the millions of years and put in a gap between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 and embedded the gap theory. Then we had others who said, oh, we'll reinterpret the days, the day-age theory. Then along comes Darwin and church leaders, many of them said, we'll say God used evolution. Then we'll say God used the Big Bang. <laughs> and you think about it, before long through, through our churches, Christian colleges, seminaries, or all these different positions on Genesis, gap theory, progressive creation, theistic evolution, local flood, framework hypothesis, whatever it is, there's all these different positions, but they all involve the same element. 
taking man's belief about millions of years and trying to fit it into the Bible and reinterpret the Word of God, which signals to the younger generation, you can believe what you're taught in the secular schools, believe what the secular media is saying, you don't need to believe Genesis, and you can put man in authority over God's Word, and the more that we've had generations indoctrinated to believe the Bible is not the absolute authority, and that man is an authority over God's Word, and you can be your own God, and you can decide truth for yourself, and now we even see Generation Z people in our churches who will say, well, I feel if two men love each other, they should be able to get married, (laughs) because they don't understand, you can't trust your feelings, because your heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. You're not neutral, and they're not neutral. You need to judge what you feel and what you think against the absolute authority of God's Word, but they no longer have that understanding that the Bible is the absolute authority of God's Word. And so therein lies the problem. That's the battle. And if you want want to look at what has happened in America, you take generations through an education system, you show the Bible totally out, you tell them man determines truth, it's now an atheistic system because they've thrown any veneer of Christianity out, Mm -hmm. and now they're coming to our churches, those that are left in the churches, their foundation is man determines truth, and we tell them, don't worry about Genesis, don't worry about that, you believe what you're taught at school, just trust in Jesus, Johnny, and we wonder why we're losing them from the church. Amen. Ken Ham, Answers in Genesis. Um, the Bible, you know, backs this up by saying a kingdom or a nation or house or even a church divided against itself cannot stand. There are so many issues in our culture, understandably so, but in the church there shouldn't be this confusion. And I again want to point out the five key um, points that you make in the book, Divided Nation. There is no neutral position. There is no non-religious position. There are ultimately only two religions, two foundations for our worldview, God's Word or man's Word, general Bible and creation apologetics, and how to think foundationally to develop a truly Christian worldview. Uh, Ken, we've just got two minutes left, but you mentioned education, and you're right. There is no neutral ground in the government-run, secular, humanist, atheist, public school system um, and you've written articles. I've got one right in front of me. The homeschooling, Beware the Roaring Lion, which was a really good article. It's been under attack, but I mean, even God is using COVID to send more people to uh, have their parents educate them instead of getting them to the public schools. So your thoughts in this just a minute and a half on the importance of homeschooling and not sending your kids to the public schools. Well, you know, I, I read another book recently, too, called, um, uh, you know, Dealing with the Family. Um, Will they stand parenting kids to face the giants? Mm. And one of the things they say in there is this. Look, first of all, if public education is not for Christ, there's only one other, one other option. It's against. And it is. And for how many hours a day are they getting a secular worldview? And a lot of parents have had this false idea, again, lack of teaching in a lot of our churches, that, oh, our kids need to be in the public schools to be salt. You know a very simple principle from Scripture? You can't be salt till you have it. We have to be putting in the salt of biblical truth, also teaching them answers, apologetics, preparing them to give them a Christian worldview to be able to stand in this world. You can't just throw them out to the world. The world will indoctrinate them. And what does the Bible say about salt? If it's contaminated, it's good for nothing. In many ways, generations of kids have been handed over to the secular world, indoctrinated by the secular world, totally contaminated, and then they're in our churches, and then much of, many of our church leaders say, believe what you're taught at school, don't worry about that, and we wonder why they've left the church, and that's the end of them. We need to take back education, and we, parents are primarily responsible, and that's what the scripture says, the fathers as the spiritual head of the house, responsible for the education of their children, don't hand them over to the secular government, that'd be like sending your kids to the Philistines to be trained. Amen, that's right. Uh, You send them to Rome, they're going to come back like Romans, or something like that, I just paraphrased one of those quotes. Uh, Ken Ham is with us today, Answers in Genesis. We've got to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to find out about some Bible teaching resources for churches available at AIG, and also we're going to ask Ken about racial tensions. You know, there's a divide in our country, and it's had a profound impact. How does the book Divided Nation address the issue of race? More with Ken Ham, Answers in Genesis, when we come back in just a minute on Stand Up for the Truth.
thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. I'm with Ken Ham, Answers in Genesis today. What a blessing to have him on. We've been trying to get him for, for quite a while, but it's great in the timeliness of this new book, Divided Nation. Ken, before we dive into this very important question uh, having to do with the racial tensions in our country, um, you have Bible teaching resources, and by the way, people can download the PowerPoint and the PDF and your notes for this book, but where can people get, I know our churches uh, teaches the, teach the Bible, um, the curriculum from Answers in Genesis, where can people get information on that for their Sunday school or their church? Yeah, um, in fact, AnswersInGenesis.org is our main website, AnswersInGenesis.org, and we have a big online store there. And uh, we produce a Sunday school curriculum called Answers Bible Curriculum, which is unique in the world. Uh, it's kindergarten through adult. It's totally synchronized, but we teach apologetics. We teach uh, biblical worldview. We teach chronologically. Uh, we teach uh, doctrine. Uh, I mean, biblical authority. It it. There's something that's missing. From most Sunday school material is very shallow entertainment, or it's mm-hmm. just you know Bible story oriented. If you know what I mean, <laughs> this is very different. This is the whole Bible, but taught with with that emphasis on foundations and apologetics and biblical authority and and so on. And ten thousand churches are using it actually, and it totally revolutionizes uh, their church. And we produce now the homeschool version of that called Answers Bible Curriculum Homeschool, unique Bible curriculum, nothing else like it in the world. And we do the same with our VBS programs. Our VBS programs, I believe, are the most powerful in the world. The one for twenty twenty two is actually on the sanctity of life. But again, we have an emphasis on apologetics. We have science experiments. We teach uh, biblical authority. The very evangelistic uh, churches see kids and adults coming to the Lord in, in, in ways I haven't seen in a long time. So it's this unique aspect of dealing with where the culture's at and what's been missing from the church and teaching uh, a biblical worldview, teaching biblical authority, equipping them with apologetics, as well as teaching them their doctrine and what comes from Scripture. I've got in my hand a book you wrote with Charles Ware, and we've had Dr. Charles Ware on this podcast a couple times to talk about this book, One Race, One Blood. And we've seen what's been happening over the last decade, and particularly since last summer in America, the lawlessness, but under they're trying to justify it because of racial tensions. And I'd like for you to address uh, in your book, the new one, Divided Nation, um, the impact it's having on America. How does the message in Divided Nation address the issue of racism? Well, here's the interesting thing. You know, I say to people that, look, look at all the issues in our culture. We can see, you know, gay marriage and abortion and euthanasia, the gender issue, you know, the LGBT uh, issues, racism. There's all these issues. And a lot of people have the wrong idea because I find, again, this is where we haven't been equipped correctly in many of our churches. A lot of people think they're the problems we have to deal with in our culture. But actually, they're not the problems. They're the symptoms of the one problem. Mm. They all have the one problem. And the one problem is when you build your thinking on man's word, your worldview starts with man's word and not God's word. And if it's the one problem, it means the solution is the same. And what is the solution? Well, building your thinking on God's Word. In other words, for people to understand the truth of God's Word, uh, the history that God has revealed to us, and the Gospel. And so it's the same with this issue of racism. How are we going to deal with racism? I mean, you know, we've been talking about the battle between God's Word and man's Word, and people say to me, okay, what do you do with uh, critical race theory? How do you understand critical race theory? Well, first of all, is the foundation for critical race theory man's Word or God's Word? Well, it's man's Word right there. You know, the worldview is incorrect. Mm -hmm. And the emphasis of critical race theory is you judge people according to their outside. You look at their outside. But if you start from God's Word, we recognize that, that God points out it's the inside that matters, who you are. Uh, I mean, you know, you could be a beautiful person on the outside, but rotten on the inside. And we're all rotten on the inside in the sense we're all sinners. And we've got to understand that because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so if you want to deal with the issue of racism, I was first asked this question in 1975, wow. you know, by students in my classroom. So if we all go back to Adam and Eve, how do you explain the different races? Because Darwin taught there are different races, lower and higher. So wait a minute, you start from God's word. We're all descendants of Adam and Eve. If everyone is a descendant of Adam and Eve, then we're all one race. 
there aren't any different races biologically. That's number one. And that's important to understand because the gospel is for every tribe, Amen. all languages, all people, all nations. I mean, in Revelation, we talk about, you know, it talks about the eternal gospel for everyone. And then one day, people from every tribe, nation, language, culture is going to stand before uh, God uh, and, and in white robes. In other words, God saves people out of every group because the gospel is for everyone, because all have sinned. And so then people say, well, how do you get all the different groups of people that we see today and all those, you know, black people and white people. Okay, well, the Tower of Babel after the flood. You know, yes. Genesis 9 tells us that uh, Noah and his wife and their three sons and three wives got off the ark and that all people on the earth today are descendants of the three sons of Noah. I mean, the Bible says that in Genesis 9 very, very clearly. And what happened? Well, about 150 years after the flood, there was the event of the Tower of Babel. God gives different languages, which causes people to separate from each other. You read Genesis 10, the table of nations, they moved away from each other according to their languages and so on. And it goes through each of the sons of Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, talking about their descendants that moved away from each other because of the event uh, given in detail in Genesis 11, which is the Tower of Babel. And so... Depend, you know, when God made us, he put in our DNA a tremendous amount of information for, uh, for enabling variation. And that's why, you know, 8 billion people in the earth today, and we all look a little different from each other because God built in that variability in our DNA. Just like dogs, they all look a little different, uh, but they're all the dog kind. Cats all look a little different, but they're all the cat kind. Humans, we all look a little different, but we're all the human kind. Mm. And those features on the outside represent a very small percentage of our genetics. It was interesting, even when the Human Genome Project in the year 2000 mapped the human genome, and this is a secular group headed by an atheist, actually, and you know what they said to the world in the year 2000? They said, guess what we found? There's only one race. Well, there's <laughs> science confirming what the Bible says. We're all one race. And, you know, even when... I, I like to use the example of black people and white people because critical race theory uh, gets people to divide people into black and white, mm -hmm. and it actually creates division and causes racism. But technically, there are no white people. You know, I, I, I'm very light, <laughs> right? I'm not a dark person, although the, the author of the co-author of the book with me, Dr. Charles Ware, he's a very dark person. Now, he would say Ken Ham is of the lighter hue and he's of the darker hue. But see, people would say, well, you're a white person. No, I'm not. If you put a white sheet of paper up beside me, I'm not white uh, because nobody is white. We're actually all brown. We actually all have the same basic pigment for our color in our skin, which is called melanin. It's a brown pigment. And Dr. Ware, who wrote this book with me, is not black. He's dark. He has a lot more melanin than I do. And Adam and Eve were probably middle brown. Uh, with a mixture of genes for maximum diversity so their children could have been light through to dark in one generation. Actually, there's many examples of twins around the world, one dark, one very dark, one very light. Mm. Uh, and it's easy to understand when you look at the parents, sometimes the parents are middle brown, so they have a mixture of genes for melanin. Sometimes one parent is very dark and one's light. Uh, you know, people would call that a biracial couple, but that there's no such thing as biracial couple or biracial children because we're all one race because we all go back to Adam and Eve. So if you have a biblical worldview, we're not creating division, we're creating unity and helping people understand we're all one family and those features on the outside are minor features. You don't judge people by their outside. Remember when, when Samuel came to anoint the king in 1 Samuel 16 and he saw David's brother? He didn't know David was going to be the king at that stage and he saw his brother and, and just from what's, what you read there, you know, you can imagine him saying he's tall, he's handsome, he's strong, you know, he's on the football team. Well, maybe not the football team, but you know what I mean. And uh, <laughs> he, he said he's going to be the king. Remember what God said? Do not look at his height or his, you know, do not look at his stature. Um, because I have rejected him, um, because God does not see as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Mm. It's a reminder to us that the real person is inside. Don't judge people by their outside. It's the inside. And that's really important for us. And, you know, the secular worldview based on man's word is you judge people by their outside. The biblical worldview based on God's word is 
people need to be judged by their inside, who they really are before mm. the Lord. And that's what it's all about. And what a difference when you start to realize we're all one family. We're all equal in value before the Lord. Um, we all are sinners, and we all need uh, the solution in Jesus Christ. And when you think what God says to those of us who are Christians, love your enemies. How did Jesus teach us to pray? He taught us to pray this way. Forgive uh, those who trespass against you. you know, uh, forgive me my trespasses as, as we forgive others. Think about that in regard to so-called reparations and injustices and all the rest of it. Listen, you know, we can't pay uh, for the injustice we did in rebelling against God. God mm. paid it for us on the cross of Calvary. That's something for all of us to remember. Amen. And that's what it's all about. Amen. And I also like to point, our identity is in Christ as believers in him and as saved and converted Christians. And the book of Galatians um Verse uh, chapter three, verse twenty six through twenty nine talks about we who have believed in Christ. Now we are sons and daughters of God, and it says we are descendants of Abraham. It says there is neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ. And um, the logical progression can, and we only have a, three minutes left, of this dangerous thinking of the evolution of the dividing the races. Um, you, you wrote about in that book, uh, Nazi Germany used evolutionary concepts to justify the extermination of, quote, unfit people groups such as Jews, gypsies, uh, blacks, and, and this is what they did. So when we get on that wrong worldview, which you clearly explain is man's word as opposed to God's word, then, you know, these other things, these actions, this sin just makes it natural to uh, follow, correct? Yes, when you have a wrong foundation— and it's against God, then you're going to have evil consequences. And, you know, Hitler used evolution to justify what he did to all sorts of different people mm -hmm. uh, to produce the so-called, you know, superior race. But, you know, you know someone else who was just like Hitler? Her name was Margaret Sanger. She yes. founded Planned Parenthood. And she, like Hitler, believed Darwin's ideas and that some people are closer to the apes than others. And these people that are closer to the apes uh, need to, you know, we need to stop them from reproducing and sterilize them and get them to abort their children and so on. She founded an organization that, that to this day still is Margaret Sanger in her worldview based on evolution called Planned Parenthood that has re been responsible for an incredible holocaust of our time, which is even greater greater than the Holocaust of Germany, if you think of the numbers involved, 60 million children alone in America that have been killed by abortion since Roe versus mm. Wade. They say one billion around the world. I mean, it, you think about that Holocaust, the abortion Holocaust, all because people have the wrong foundation. Mm. Ken Ham, Answers in Genesis. The new book is called Divided Nation, Cultures in Chaos and a Conflicted Church. I know we covered a lot of ground, jumped around a little bit today, but a lot of foundational points that'll give people a better understanding of not only where we are, how we got here, but how to reinforce those biblical foundations. Ken, AnswersInGenesis.org. Uh, anything else you'd like to share before we let you go? <laughs> Well, I encourage people to make sure that they stand back and have a look at how their kids are being trained, who's training their kids, how they're training them, what worldview they have. As you said at the beginning, uh, most Christians just do not have a biblical worldview. Most don't understand it. Make sure that you get familiar with what it means to have a true biblical worldview and make sure you're equipping your children. Amen. Ken, thank you for your time today. God bless your ministry, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. We've got to wrap things up again. Remember to go to our resources, StandUpForTheTruth.com, upper left-hand corner, resources, 200 of them in alphabetical order. Tomorrow, our guest is Patrick Wood of Technocracy News and Trends, a great website and a great resource right there. He's also the executive director of Citizens for Free Speech. Patrick Wood, tomorrow, God bless you, Happy New Year, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.